to High Notes with Dr. B, a podcast about brave, courageous, risk-taking women. I want to help us all live a courageous life by challenging you and me about all aspects of our lives. I will feature guests who are guaranteed to inspire you. I will also discuss and review a new book by women. My goal is to challenge myself and you to think about the world around us and lead a life that is about changing for the better. So let me give you a little bit of background about how this project came together. Um, By the way, the music that you're listening to is uh, the first song in that project called Dance. This project is a social justice project and it's about human trafficking and particularly sexual uh, human trafficking. So I spent a little bit of time um, at a place where there was a church and a homeless shelter uh, right next to each other and kind of in some ways a combined building and the church was very involved with um, the homeless community and because of that I was uh, involved as well and wanted to do a cooking class for the people who were um, in transitional uh, housing, had either been homeless or were trying to get out of uh, being homeless and were getting or were just in some housing, uh, an apartment or some sort of Section 8 housing. Um, And I didn't realize at the time, but some of the folks in that, within that class had at one time been um, a victim of human trafficking. And I uh, really wanted to um, teach them because one day I was volunteering and someone brought me, um, brought back to the store or to the homeless food pantry a fresh pineapple that we had had. And we had not had a lot of fresh food, but we, in the summer, we like to do, you know, more fresh things as opposed to packaged or canned and that sort of thing and wanted to give them as much fresh as as we could and we somehow had some fresh pineapple now now I can't even remember why but uh and they brought it back and said I don't know how to cut this I don't know how to open this and it just blew me away because I thought how do you not know how to cut a fresh piece of fruit and then it dawned on me that this was a very young person and the likelihood of them having been on the street for a really long time and maybe having a home life that wasn't uh, conducive to things like, you know, you and I might do and stand around and cook with our kids or show our kids how to cook, that this person had not had that experience. And it just really, I don't know, it, it, it just kind of made my thinking shift. And I thought, well, you know, cooking classes are expensive, so how do these people afford to learn to cook? And what are they buying when they learn to cook? So I I wanted to buy a book called How to Eat Well on $4 a Day, and it's a great cookbook, by the way. And it's beautiful pictures and amazing food. I, I cook a lot of things out of it. And it's written for the sole purpose of meeting someone's needs who might be on food stamps and how to show a person who's on food stamps how to go about cooking really great amazing food cheaply so i put together this cooking class and for whatever reason one of the ladies 
really took a shine to me and wanted to tell me um, some things about her life. And when she started telling me that she had been trafficked since she was a young child, and I was, I didn't know what to say, really. I, I just was stunned by her story. I mean, it's the story of nightmares. It's the story that they make, you know, made for TV movies out of. I, I just was like, I can't believe I actually know someone who this has happened to. Long story short, her mother had a lot of boyfriends, but one in particular decided to um, abuse her and then began to have his friends, uh, strangers, whoever, come into the house and abuse her as well, and he took money for it. And this went on for quite a long time, and then, you know, of course she ends up running away, and... Um, but it is the only life she knows, and she really and truly believes that it's the only thing that she can make a living at or have uh, or is any good at. And, of course, a child comes along, and now she has to try to feed feed the child. Anyway, it's a really terrible story, and I um, just thought, you know, I'm just one person. I don't know. I, somebody needs to do something about these sorts of things, but who, who am I? I'm just a singer and I'm just a person who loves the arts and I thought you know I'm always talking to my own um, students about you know social justice volunteering going out and singing in your community um, singing your churches be part of the community don't just do what you do to be famous it's not it doesn't it's not going to mean anything later if that's been your entire goal if you don't ever give back and I thought you know I wonder if I could do a project about this and raise awareness and maybe somehow that could be a way that I would give back. And you'll hear the rest of the story how the artist came to be, but I decided that that's what I was going to do. And it took me a bit to formulate it. And the one thing that really stood out to me was that she said, you know, when a person grows up or they're a child and they're growing up, they just want to be, you know, a basketball player or a dancer. I just wanted to be a ballerina. I just wanted to dance. I saw that my friends took ballet and and I saw something on TV like on Sesame Street and, and saw these ballerinas and I thought, oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. I want to dance. I want to be a dancer. No one says, I want to be trafficked. I want to become a prostitute. I want to sell my body for a living. No one says that. Every child wants something beautiful in their lives. And I get emotional even thinking about it because here I am so blessed and had such a great home life. And for whatever fate, and I'm not going to say it's God because I don't believe that God put that young person in that situation and me in a different situation. It's the luck of the draw. It's just fate. And I'm so lucky that that was not my mom, that that was not my situation. And you know, Lord knows what any of us would do given the wrong situation. So her story really struck a chord, and I decided to put this project together, A Thousand Hands, A Million Stars. You can go online. It's spelled out, A Thousand Hands, A Million Stars dot com. And you can see the art. Uh, I think there may be snippets of the movie in there, and you can read about all of the artists. This is a project that I have to say I'm probably most proud of. So I hope you enjoy today's podcast. But first, I'd like to um, say a shout out and a big thank you to our artists, uh, Jane Atwood, who's from Toledo, Ohio. 
The composer is Jerry H. No, and she is from Kent, Ohio. And the visual artist is Carla Chufo, who is uh, originally from New York City, but currently resides in Nashville, Tennessee. I am so lucky to have met these women and been in a project with them. They are all amazing, talented, smart women. I must also make a disclaimer here. We are, of course, in the middle of our quarantine, and we could not all get together at the same time. And so this is a little disjointed, and also because of being in quarantine, we're all in our houses, and people, you know, have to keep living. And so there's some sound and noise things that go on in this podcast, so I apologize in advance if some of the noise and stuff that happens is a distraction for you. But um, we really felt that it was important that we bring this uh, subject and the importance of this project to light. So I hope you enjoy it. So our poet for the project is Jane Atwood. And Jane and I um, met through Teaching Voice and um, she came to a production and had told me about her father, who was quite an accomplished poet. And I knew that she also had uh, dabbled in poetry and had written a lot of poetry. And she is pretty close to the vest about that, doesn't share it very often, even though I say she should. But uh, occasionally I, get, I would get to see some of her poetry and thought it was amazing and asked her to write the poetry for the project. And Jane, tell me what you thought about that and like what you thought about the project when I first talked about it. Talk about your process. So when you first approached me, I, I immediately was interested in it just because I have a, an interest in social justice as a whole. Um, and my process, once I started thinking about it, because you had not shared with me your involvement with um, anybody that you knew that had been involved in human sex trafficking at that point. You just said this was something you were interested in. And I knew that I had some sort of a connection uh, to the, the experience itself. So I started reading a lot of survivors' stories. And in doing so, I really started connecting a lot of my own experience to what I was reading. Um, unfortunately, I realized that my own experience of essentially being held against my will for about four days as a teenager um, in a man's house and, and, and forced to do whatever he wanted me to do um, was far more traumatizing and had a lot more impact on my life than I think I was ever willing to admit or even think about. And through that, um, and reading the survivor stories and, and reading you know, about the issue in general, uh, when I started writing, what I wanted to do was portray a person's journey through this experience. So starting before um, she was brought into trafficking, and then also going through that experience, uh, being rescued from that experience, and then her recovery. And I think because I'm a singer and I'm connected to music, um, I, it didn't occur to me, honestly, to have that person be a singer but I really connected into the idea of dance. And I think it was the physicality of dance and movement. And so I chose a young woman who wanted to be a dancer. And that's how I started that process. Um, and so it just kind of, from my process, it's very much I sit and I write. And, I, and then after I write, I revise. And I, what I found was that I was injecting a lot of my own feeling into that writing, um, which is fine because I think that it made it uh, more authentic in some respects that people, it became more believable for people who read that poetry. They don't just view it as, 
oh, I just, you know, read some stories and decided I'd write, you know, some kind of prose or, or story about someone. Um, so once I had gone through that whole process, then I go back and I, I, I revise, but I, I find that I don't have to revise a whole lot. Um, so that's, you know, the process. What I thought was really interesting about it when I had completed it and given it to you, Denise, was that we were talking to Jerry when we met with her about putting this to music and you shared your story about this woman who wanted to be a dancer. And that was something you assumed that you had told me because I wrote about someone who wanted to be a dancer, but you hadn't told me. So it was really serendipitous and I think really interesting. And I really liked the fact that we were able to connect that way in, in some other sense, outside of just, oh, we sharing everything, you know, there was an intu intuitive part of this process that took place. So that's, that's basically my writing process. I think uh, essentially what made this more important to me was my own experience and being able to really connect into a lot of those feelings. Um, not that I was trafficked out to anybody else, but I certainly, um, was was subjected to very very similar experiences so that's i think basically my process i kind of just let my mind go right you know uh, the poetry is so powerful uh, and and i don't think it would be nearly as powerful if you hadn't had that experience that doesn't make me glad that you had that experience i'm sorry you had that experience but and maybe if I'd known you'd had that experience, I might not have asked you simply because I would not have wanted that to, you know, trigger something in you or bring a sadness in you, um, you know, by being involved in the project. So I'm glad I didn't know about it until after that. But uh, I I know that they they have a sensibility about them that it, it really and all the audiences that have seen it have all said. Poetry just brings you in and you have no doubt that you're reading the words of someone who lived through this experience. And so I, I love the poetry so much. And I think the dancer part, although I was, you know, stunned when we just made that discovery that you, I had not talked about that with you, but the woman whose story that elicited this response from me, she said, you know, when I was a little girl, I just wanted to be a dancer. I, I just wanted to do what all my little friends were doing in ballet and wanted to have that experience as a, as a little girl and thought that I would just grow up to be, you know, a ballerina or something. No one grows up saying, I, I hope I become human trafficked. I hope that I'm put in a situation where I have to choose life or, or letting people have their way with my body and um and it's so it's so true no one chooses that life as a child no one no one chooses that and so i think it's an important thing to remember that you know it it, it could be any one of our destinies had things been a little different you know so um I was wondering, Jane, would you read, uh, do you have a favorite? I, I know I have uh, pieces of each one that I, are like really great lines for me. And when I sing it, certainly the music that Jerry did and your poetry combined makes certain aspects of it my favorite. But do you have a, a, a poem that you'd like to share? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, I thought about, um, you know, the poetry and and what I connected to. And I, I guess I should also say that I'm glad that you asked me um, because this whole process was also very cathartic for me. Um, so I think that when you're working through these type of traumatic events, um, this, this particular outlet was something very important. So in thinking about, I, I don't know that I, I have a favorite favorite um i think i'm kind of like you there are parts of things and i'm i'm usually 
so critical of my own work that, you know, I see everything, oh, gee, should have done this, should have done that. But I think that the one uh, that always resonates with me, probably the most, is um, A Thousand Hands, which is literally describing the actual experience. Um, next to that would be the next one where she's being, you know, taken out of this or, or saved. And all of them serve some importance. But I, I think A Thousand Hands uh, would be something that I, I'd be... I would always choose, mainly because, well, of the last line, which I can't tell you right now. <laughs> so will you, will you read it for us? I sure will. Okay. A thousand hands. A thousand hands touched my body, stripping me of essence and self. Left barren, vulnerable to the whim of the man, the men the monsters that come at night and at day. The fists bruising and branding of iron that burned not only into my skin, but etched into my mind. Held in a bond of chains, tethered and wrapped tightly, my purgatorial state of waiting. Weeping and tears could not wash away the shame, the pain, the defeat, my body left lifeless, still and quiet, no longer moves at will. It is confined to the rule of another, its purpose defined by the pleasure of others. Unable to cleanse the inside and the out, to purify my mind of the putrid imposition of the dirt and shame thrown against my back every day like the master's whip. My body invaded with its disease, slowly metastasizing, occupying everything that was once mine. No part of me was left untouched or unscathed, leeching and bleeding my sense of self, leaving me with nothing but an empty shell. That exploitation that served to harden my heart now detached and devoid of feeling. Those vectors of contempt inscribed on my soul infinite pathways of shattering memory. A thousand hands touched my body and a million stars went dark. Thus, we named the project after that line. Yeah, it's really, really, really powerful. And that image of the stars going dark is just it's really hard to sing, for sure. Really hard to sing. Um, thank you. Thank you for reading that. Thank you for writing the poetry, too. Um, Cherry, I, I want to turn towards you and ask you, when you first were told about the project and you were sent the poetry, what made you decide to uh, get involved? I think it was this poem, A Thousand Hands. Um, when I read it, actually, I was, um, I, I was in shock and, you know, no woman thinks about this kind of thing until, um, you know, you hear about, you know, bad news and, and the television and, and stories. But when you're confronted with a, a poem this honest and this 
um, in your face about it, it it kind of it kind of shakes you. Um, so I thought, wow, this would be really um, really interesting to you know uh, compose. Um, but then, you know, it, it took me a long time um, to formulate music to this particular uh, piece. And I would say all other poems um, that I, I thought after um, really start thinking about what kind of sound I wanted for this particular poem. And then I um, branched out even before I wrote the very first one, which was a kind of like a demo piece for, for Denise and Jane and to um, see what it, you know, how, what my style is. Um, not to say this is my particular style. I mean, I try to be really um, conservative in, in writing. So, you know, just following um, just typical art song um, techniques, just be really descriptive and text painting and uh, the uh, piano accompaniment, just um, supporting the poems. And so I, I like within that traditional um, thinking, um, you know, I, I formulated the, uh, the dance part really is dancing and six, eight. Um, it's not the dance that you want to dance to, but rather um, dance in your imagination. Um, like dreaming of being a dancer. Sorry, my, let me just turn this off. I thought I turned it off. <laughs> Sorry. Um, so, yeah, I think this, uh, this Thousand Hands came very first. Um, and not that it matters to a general audience, but I did, um, I did use all 12 pitches. And so it's not really traditional 12 tone music, but I thought it would be, um, it, it, I felt obligated to use all 12 pitches in the first two measures. And since you're talking about this thousand hands and million stars, I could only offer 12 tones, but um, that is basically the ground bass that comes back um, and it comes back and again and again it's like um, it's like you know written in the poem you just get to, you get attacked over and over and over again and the time seems infinity um, and time seems like the pain goes forever you know I thought so I thought of these little things and then um, and later um, then I start thinking about what kind of sound what kind of um, the rhythmic uh, pulsation I wanted and so forth. Um, so after um, after I came with I came up with the ideas about thousand hands and then then all other um, movements kind of came in place. Right, and you know, thousand hands is uh, difficult to say the least. Well, yeah, of course, you know. Well, not just, it's difficult. Sorry. I think it would be odd if, if a piece was such difficult poetry, difficult to absorb, difficult to think about, difficult to, to even say out loud, right? It's difficult, it's emotionally difficult, it, all of those things. I think it would have been weird to put something pretty to that particular piece of poetry. I don't think it really would have worked. And it, in its difficulty, what I mean is, of course, you, you have it very um, angular and certainly the, the um, range is quite difficult for a singer to do. But, but I would say the difficulty is in that I wanted you know, the poetry to be understood by everyone that heard it. So it was important to me to not sing it pretty. And that was hard because my training is all about singing pretty. It needed to be understood by everyone in an audience that might hear it and, and not miss a word of the poignant poetry that accompanies this music. I didn't want anyone to go, what was that word that she said in that top part of her voice? 
So I didn't worry about making it pretty. I wanted to make it important. I wanted to make it heavy, weighted, um, rough even if it needed to be. So I appreciate the fact that, yeah, the music's difficult, but I appreciate the fact that I could make those kinds of choices in the piece because you weren't asking me to sing them pretty. You know what I mean? Yeah. I didn't want, I, I, I don't think the pretty really is the last thing I would think of, you know, in the whole cycle. Um, Thousand Hands, Realization, uh, maybe the last piece um, with some kind of resolution, but then um, the pretty would, would, would not be the, the sound I would want. I'd rather, I'd rather hear noise. Mm -hmm. I'd rather hear scream than um, I, I, I would rather hear you know, moaning out of pain than, than hear a pretty sound. And all those things, right? What was that? I said, and all of those are in the piece. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was really kind of stunning just now when Jane read it because when she read it, 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 the music is already in it. You know, the, the reading of a poetry, it's really, it's in itself, it's a musical rendition. You know, when I got the poem and I just read through, um, kind of like making a drama out of uh, what's there in my mind, but that's nothing compared to what um, um, what is read to me by the author, so. It's kind of like opera for me, and in, in, in many ways, it's really dramatic because for me, opera is the whole picture. It, it without the visual, you don't really have the complete thing. The composer wrote it, meaning for it to be visual. The the and and when Jane wrote this poetry, she knew there was going to be. She didn't know who it was going to be, but she certainly knew that there was going to be some visual aspect to it, right? And when you wrote it, you knew there would be some visual aspect to it. So I think when music is composed to, to be visual as well, it's, it's not, uh, it, it crosses boundaries. It crosses barriers that people would have if they were otherwise just listening. But when you see this thing come to life, you know, you, lose the sense of your own reality and the reality you're in and you it, you get drawn in in the same way that you do with opera and at least that's what a lot of the people who have seen this live say about it is that they just get drawn into the story and at this point we will segue into our conversation with our visual artist carla chufo Hi, Carla. Thank you so much for joining our podcast. We are so excited to hear from the artist of the project, the visual artist. And uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got involved and uh, tell us what made you decide to be part of this project? Sure. Hi, Denise. Um, well, you actually came to me and told me about the project and uh, I was very familiar with an organization here in Nashville called Thistle Farms, uh, and they work with uh, women who are sex trafficking survivors. Uh, they have a, a really huge success rate. Um, they offer all kinds of, um, they have a, they offer them a place to stay and training. Uh, so afterwards they can go out in the world and they're, you know, prepared for life, a different kind of a life. Uh, so I have been inspired by that group and uh, supportive of that group here in Nashville. So when you came to me with the project, um, A, it was, uh, it sounded like an exciting collaborative project. I don't collaborate that frequently, um, but this one sounded uh, very interesting since we were integrating all different kinds of artistic components, poetry, dance, music, song, voice. Um, so being the visual part of that um, was something I was very interested in. Uh, and 
then after we talked and we got excited about it, it we had more ideas of how you know the path it would take and how it would grow and it's still morphing today uh, which keeps me interested um, but that was kind of my introduction and why i became a part of it right uh, it, it's interesting how a project like this especially when you collaborate with more than one person um how it tends to take on a, a life of its own and it and it becomes something that maybe you didn't envision at all. And, you know, it didn't turn out to be what I thought it would be. It became bigger and greater and far better than anything I could have imagined in my own little non-visual artist brain. Um, but, uh, you know, we talked about so many different kinds of ways to do the visual art, but you, you settled on what you call and I think what the industry calls augmented reality. Tell, tell our, our listeners about that. Sure. Well, I've always been interested, even from a, as a kid, I was very interested in, in holographic images, actually being able to walk into these fantastic artworks. So um, I you know, worked in 2D and then became very interested in 3D imagery. So uh, augmented reality is a uh, form, it's a, it's a three-dimensional visual, and it's really applying a form of video art or moving art to a static two-dimensional piece. And the augmented reality was interesting to me because, it, because of the nature of what we were doing. We were involving dancers um, and voice and movement, and I really wanted to see our, our our artwork come to life and I've always been interested in actually being able the magical kind of way of moving into a piece of artwork as a kid I loved holography I loved going to the holographic museum in Manhattan and Soho and so if I was able to bring this three-dimensional kind of uh, immersive experience to the artwork um, I if I could I really wanted to so we were successful in doing that and now with our limitations you know we have what the beauty of this this installation is we can we can change it um, depending upon our situation like today in the age of COVID we're not able to perform live right now or in a limited way and installations can be somewhat limited so I'm looking now at a true virtual reality, three-dimensional experience, um, perhaps one that you can view online. And that's something that this piece can easily translate into. So that's kind of my reasoning behind uh, the augmented reality and perhaps transitioning into virtual reality. Wow, that's that would be amazing. That would be really very, very interesting. I can't wait to see what happens there. I, I had originally thought it would be, you know, static art. And when you showed me the, for the very first time, what augmented reality would do when we were sitting in that coffee shop, you know, sort of brainstorming and planning, I, it just floored me. I'd never seen anything like it. And more often than not, when people look at it, they're like, how is this happening? How is what is happening right now? Like it really blows their mind. So I, uh, and, and, you know, even looking at our webpage as great as it is, it does not do it justice as being there in a room, holding your phone up to this, what you think is just a, a, a stagnant, like you said, beautiful, but stagnant piece of art. And then all of a sudden these characters begin moving and coming alive and it's really powerful and it adds to the power I think of the piece as a whole uh, to to the the poetry is powerful on its own the music is powerful on its own the art is powerful on its own but when the three things come together and make this very enriched visual experience right the the reaction at least from every audience member that I've been been in the same room with talk about how visceral their reaction is and it's super it's just really really powerful i think and um i hope going forward that it's gonna continue to morph and change and and become a, a living testament to the the passion and the um 
commitment that all of us have towards raising awareness of human trafficking in this country and in the world, right? What is your favorite uh, piece, you think? Oh, definitely realization. And I think it's a combination of the music, um, the power of your voice in that. Also, I think it was when I was filming this and Becca, one of the dancers, um, that was her piece. And this was all improvisation. She had listened to the music. She had an idea in her head. But it was such a raw, emotive kind of performance. It was so beautiful. And I think um, that the combination of her performance, there's a scream at the end that even she was surprised. She was surprised that it came out of her um, at the end of her performance. And it was so primal and so from her heart. Uh, so the, thus the animation and the video and the art that I created from that uh, for, it really moves me. I think that's my favorite piece. It's a, well, I mean, I, I love them all for different reasons, but that one I go back to a lot. I, I, and I, I think it's just the combination. And, and part of it was how Becca was moved um, and thus how her dance kind of evolved from that. And a shout out to the two dancers. Mention their names, and um, and I want to I want to let everyone know that may go to our webpage and look at some of the videos that are up there. That these dancers were not choreographed; they improvised their uh, own interpretation of the pieces in real time to the songs playing. Just going back to um, favorite pieces. I'm thinking, because as I mentioned, the artists, uh, they're, they're two different uh, forms of dance. And I have to say that realization uh, is, 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 a, is a big favorite, but A Thousand Hands, that mm. one too, is a right. super powerful. That is just a, a, you know, like a, it just goes right into you and through you. So I have to say that that equally as, interesting to watch and as powerful to read i think those two yeah so i just wanted to just wanted to yes. go back in <laughs> yeah no that's okay i think it's okay in a piece like this where there are six pieces and they're very very different i think it's fine to have more than one favorite <laughs> yeah i i would definitely be hard pressed to choose as a singer the ones that i prefer um but i i find that there are chunks of each of them that I, I like, you know, equally. So it's really hard, I think, to pinpoint a definite favorite. What's the way that you come up with something? Does it just come out of you through like improvised, like the dance? Or do you, do you plan? Do you think? Tell me about your process a little bit. I would have to say it's really visceral. No, I don't. I mean, I have an idea in my head. Um, yes, when I listen to music, it's, it's an idea in my head and then it just formulates. There isn't really a plan. Like I don't sit around thinking about it for hours or days. It's a pretty visceral response to, uh, for this, in this instance, the music. So, um, though I want art to be visually, something can be beautiful to look at and not pretty just the way it can be, you know, a beautiful to listen to, but heart-wrenching or not pretty. So when I approach the art, I wanted all the pieces, they are different stories. So I wanted the pieces to be, to visually be different from each other. And so you see, they all really are. Um, captive smile, there is a deception there. There's a sweetness and a deception. So you'll see that presented in the art with the butterflies and kind of a Disney-esque beginning. Um, and then of course the power 
of the words and the dance take over. Um, so no, I never, never approached it thinking the word pretty. It's just really uh, following my heart, you know, how it reacted to each piece. Um, and they're different. You'll see a thousand hands. She's a whirling mass of energy in that. And you'll find how I, how I created the artwork and the moving art um, to reflect that, that chaos um, and that emotion and the, you know, the conflict. Um, so I think that you just kind of see that in all the different pieces. Um, that's how I approach it. Yes, I, I think so. It, it is really the art is stunning and the dance is stunning as well. So I think the piece as a whole is, is I'm really proud. It's one of the most, I'm the most proud of this project probably than most of the other things that I've done in my lifetime. And I've done a lot of projects, but this one I think is, I'm especially proud of. So thank you for your part. And thank you for saying yes to me, a complete stranger in a coffee shop. But I have to say, I think Jane's art, I mean, Jane's um, poetry probably clinched the deal because when I handed you the poetry and you read it, you were like, okay, yeah, what do I, what do you want me to do? So back in the discussion to our poet and composer. I really had no idea that it was going to be the way that it is. I, I, I don't know, it just took on a life of its own. And, and that's in all thanks to all of the artists that came together to make this project something important and something uh, sustainable that could go from city to city, you know? And I think um, how often um, we get to do this, we get to talk about social justice Right. Um, social justice. I mean, this is a, an important one. This is this is a bad one that needs to be really um, brought to life, and and we it, this just craves the attention from not only from like women and, and girls, but even from men. You know, just everybody starting you start to think about how um, devastating this particular subject is yes social justice there's so many different um you know experience that we can talk about i mean myself it's like you know i've 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 i have my own share of social justice injustice done to me just being um an asian woman of course that draws a lot of uh, bad attention in, in in some you know unfortunate situations but that is nothing. There is nothing compared to um, when your body is violated and this just everything is taken away. And, and, and you know, it, it is like, you know, what we are doing is putting music, putting dance and putting, we're doing everything to amplify this. It's such an important um, issue. And hopefully this will resonate and, you know, people will, will take something home when when they see this and when they hear it and when they see you singing. Um, so I'm so glad um, you, you started this. I, again, I, I had no idea where this was gonna go, you know, but it, art is funny because it kind of, you, you start and it just kind of, kind of it lives its own life, you know? So definitely, Jane. Yeah, uh, just to to um, add to what Jerry's saying. So I, I had given a presentation um, on a thousand hands, and and one of the things I think that we tend to do is we hear about these stories, right? We hear about them on the news. It's a news flash, and then it's gone, and we hear about it, but it's not really ever present in our mind. It only comes up when we hear about a story and then it kind of goes away. And I think that it, this particular project between the poetry, the music, the, the artistry, the dance, the singing, all of those things coming together, you're, you're, you're inputting a lot of information in a lot of different ways. 
in, in people's minds as they're listening and watching and experiencing it, especially live. And I think it tends to stick with people more. And, and I think that we're all aware of human trafficking. We hear about it. But what we don't do is take action and really involve ourselves on a level that, you know, that is out there to help people. We, we know about it. And we're saying, yeah, that, that's really terrible. But really, I think this project is also a, a, a call to action that um, don't sit still. The smallest thing that you can do if you, you know, can help an organization that is helping these people. And it's certainly not just women uh, who get uh, taken into this and children. It's, it's all ages. It's, it's, you know, doesn't matter what gender you are. Um, and I think that when you can make an impact through art, whether it's, you know, um, literature, music, the singing, the actual visual art, the dance, it tends to stick with people more. It, it's not, it, it is visceral, but I think it also becomes really cerebral and it kind of sticks there. And, and my hope is that this somewhere strikes a chord in people to where the next time they hear about an organization or something going on, that they remember this, it sticks with them. Or we don't know how many people this actually relates to because they've had similar experiences, right? Or know someone who's had that experience. But that, that helps them then to become part of the process in helping to mitigate and stop this horrible, horrible uh, thing from happening and to help those who are getting out of it. Right. Well, that is one of the things that we we do when we when we go the pre-talk before the, the actual um, show of the six pieces is talk a little bit about how the how the project came about. Then um, we go through a series of of a PowerPoint presentation. Whatever city it's in, we talk about their their numbers, their state's numbers. Um, and then list all of the organizations and their phone numbers that they can volunteer for. And, and we've tried to uh, get in contact with those organizations to see if they wanted to come and have a presence at the event. So, no, I think it's really important not to just show the project, but to then have a call to action and give people an opportunity to write down a phone number or write down a name of an organization and find out ways that they can volunteer. It's, the, it's really the only way that we're going to um, change the face of trafficking and in this country, but certainly also um, calling and finding out what's going on in your own state and their laws that they have. And are they making laws and are they doing things to advocate for someone in their state that happens to get caught in a situation or as human trafficked and gets caught in a situation, not to victimize them again, but to give them opportunity for, for uh, some sort of assistance and works and those kinds of things. So anybody that's listening, I would tell you that if you want a really rewarding experience, find out who in your area is um, helping people who have been trafficked and see what, in what ways you can support them and, whether it's your your money or your time or making phone calls from home for them, whatever you need to do, they're, they're what they would love to have more people involved so that we can make a big difference in this uh, particular social justice. Um, wow, I'm having a brain issue. Issue, thank you. Yes. Well, and, and also, Denise, Outside of the helping people have already suffered this, bringing awareness, I think that was one of the things that was important to me when I wrote the cycle of poetry was that there was a representation of this person prior to. I'm not sure, you know, people really always think that won't happen to me. That's not going to happen to my child. Um, and if I can just share a quick story about a student of mine, um, 
she's, I think, 18, and she's on the spectrum, but she's very high functioning. And she wears like a little koala backpack, and she was going around a store. And she noticed this woman video recording her on her phone, following her through the store. Now, the fact that she became aware of it is really stunning, given her, her particular diagnosis. Um, but she called her father, who immediately called the police. And the FBI was brought in, and they were able to get this person who is connected to abducting young women. So there you go. There's a perfect example of you wouldn't think anything of shopping in a store, but she looked young to them because she does look very young for her age. Probably people would think she's more like 14, 15, um, and innocent and unaware. But she happened to notice it. And she could have easily fallen victim to this. And, and that was not even 10 miles from where I live, you know? And it's, it's within 10 miles of where everybody lives. It's within five miles. You just never know. So also uh, in helping these organizations, some of what these organizations do is not just help the victims, but to bring awareness and, and hopefully some type of um, uh, information to people things to look for, how to protect yourself, you know, don't make yourself vulnerable to it. Not that we are to blame for it, but certainly awareness is a huge thing for, for people as well. Cause you just don't think about it. I'm not sure I would have noticed someone following me. Well, I probably would have, cause I, I see everything, but you know, I think a lot of <laughs> Denise is laughing cause she knows it's true about me, but uh, you know, a lot of people just wouldn't, think anything of it. People pick up their camp, their phones and they video things all the time, all the time. So yeah, part of that story too, it was important for me to represent that young woman who just wanted to dance um, as a young woman who had no idea, right? you know, who was totally innocent and un unaware of the danger. So because of our various sound issues, this is the podcast for today. I want to thank our guests, uh, Jane Atwood, our poet, Jerry H. No, our composer, Andrea Lee on the piano in the background music, and of course, our visual artist, Carla Chufo. And hopefully, you can go to the website and see once we are not quarantining anymore and singers are not considered super spreaders you might be able to see this in a city close to you we this past spring we were out in the LA and uh, Santa Barbara and San Francisco area and then in the Atlanta area and we were supposed to be in Europe um, in September but obviously not going to happen so we hope to continue to bring it to cities and to churches, institutions, schools, uh, community efforts to uh, bring the issue of human trafficking out into the open. And so please feel free to go to the website, a thousand hands, a million stars.com. Thank you for listening today. So instead of my usual sign-off music, I'm going to leave you with what is one of my favorite pieces of the project. I hope you enjoy it. Please rate and subscribe and send this podcast to a friend. It would mean so much to me and it means so much when you actually rate and subscribe to the podcast. Peace, love, and courage.
righteousness dictated by another's will. Sentience rushes.